Now, last week I talked about the fear of falling asleep. Today, I want to preface, because we're going to get into awaken your identity, because if you don't know whose you are, you'll never know who you are. So we're going to be talking about identity, awaken who God has made you. Then we're going to be talking in the series, I will be, other people will be preaching other parts, but I will be preaching Waken Destiny. You know, um, you were born and created for purpose. And sometimes you have to awaken that. And there are certain things in the scripture you can do to align yourself for that to be awakened. That, you know, you can, you can, you know, you can, you can set an alarm clock to wake you up in the morning. There are things spiritually you can do to awaken your destiny that it may be dormant. There's, you know, um, in my DNA, there was a uh, gene, part of my gene, that at a certain time in my life, it awoken and my hair started falling out. There was a bald gene inside of me somewhere. So, where I used to have thick, spiky cord. At a moment in time, it awoken inside of me and it started coming out. There are times that destinies spiritually speaking, need to be awoken on the inside of you. And there are things we can do spiritually that can awaken those destinies. And so we'll be getting into that one week. But today I want to talk about what actually the awakening is. Because I I talked about last week the danger of being asleep. But this week I want to just real quick lay out what it is I'm talking about. Because, you know, everybody can understand what falling asleep is. But I believe a lot of people don't understand what actually being awake is. Because there are people that go through life completely unaware. The Bible uses words like be sober, be vigilant, be alert. They're all running back to the same thing as being awake is what I mean. You know, right now in the nation, uh, they've actually titled the movement that's going on. I read it last night in a news segment called the Awoke Movement. They're saying, you know, we're moving into a, it's called woke. There are people being woke all around the country to things that, you know, they've always have been there, but they were unaware, they were unconcerned, they were uninvolved. But our nation has seen an awakening. And there are people coming, they're calling it the awoke movement. And so... It's crazy. I read that last night. I thought, man, that's what God's been laying on my heart for months is the church, it's time for the church to awaken. But if you don't know what that means, see, to be aware in the, in the racial issue, uh, you've heard me say this, I've never been a racist in my life. My best friends, you know, my roommate in college, Brother Donald's son, which by the way, Pastor Donald's preaching in here next Sunday morning on Awaken, amen? I'm pumped. But um, the... Um, I've had black friends my whole life, and actually benefited me because I was a little guy with the big mouth. And I would get myself in trouble that my big black friends could just walk into the room and it would squish it. You know what I'm saying? And so I, 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 I was benefited in life not being a racist. And, um, but saying that to be said, I, I ne- I've never realized... I mean, you'd ask me a year ago, are you racist? I'd have said, no. Are you a part of the problem? No. But I've realized in the process by me not being awoken to what my friends and families have been going through and just feeling like I'm not a part of the problem, but actually in love can be a part of the solution, I was awoken. That's what the nation right now is being awoken to a lot of things. We're being awoken to... And I don't want the nation to wake up and the church to stay asleep. Because I still believe the church is the answer. Let me tell you how powerful I believe the church is. When Adam was created by God, and we'll get into the message, I've got a little bit of time. When Adam was created by God, God took Adam and put him to sleep. Alright? 
And then it says he took a bone out of him, out of his side, and he created Eve. And the Bible says when Adam awoke, this is what Adam said. It said he said that this is woe man. This is an amazing thing. He said, she is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. All right, if you look in 1 Corinthians, you see Paul calling Jesus the second Adam. Alright? So if there's a second Adam, you need to be aware that there's a second Eve. And just when Jesus' side was opened up, see, Jesus went to sleep and his side was opened up. And out of, you say, well, when did he go to sleep? Well, when he hung on the cross. Jesus called sleep, dead sleep many times. We walked up to Lazarus' tomb. He said, um, you know, they all said, Lazarus is dead. He said, no, he's sleeping. When he got to Jairus' daughter's house, she was dead. He said, no, she's sleeping. Jesus died on the cross. Then they opened up his side. And that's what the Bible says, blood and water flowed out. I believe what flowed out of him right then was the start of the church. And just like Adam, Eve came out of Adam, and Eve was, that was the heart of Jesus flowing. When Eve came out of Adam, it says, you are flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. You could not separate the two. I believe when Jesus went to sleep and his side was opened up, the church was birthed because there was no church before then. Couldn't be saved. People could try to get right with God. There were tabernacles. There There was no church. But when his side was opened and his heart flowed out, the Bible calls Jesus, calls it the bride of Christ. We are the Eve to the second Adam. That means we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. And I, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday, this is what I, was telling, I was talking to Pastor Donald. I said, man, I'm now convinced more than ever. See, I'm here today. My wife is in Alabama with my family in quarantine because uh, they're getting ready for the surgery and they can't be around public before the surgery. So they're in quarantine there. And while I'm here, Jennifer's there. And she's taking care of my house. She's feeding my dogs. She's putting my kids to bed. She's paying the bill. I mean, she's not just sitting there doing nothing. My wife, my flesh of my flesh, my bone of my bone, the part of my family that's present there while I'm here, she is doing what our purpose of our family is. The church is supposed to be doing what God would be doing here because He's not here right now. He's there. Does that make sense? That's how important the church is. We are flesh of His flesh, bone of His bone. Can't separate the church from Jesus because He calls us His bride of Christ. And He's coming back to get us one day. But until He gets here, He expects us to be the body of Christ. We're to be the hands of God, the feet of God. He's expecting us to carry out exactly what he would be carrying out. As a matter of fact, he actually said this, and this to be true as well, I'm here today, Jennifer's there, and I already know her, and I expected to, when I get home, that house will be cleaner than I could have cleaned it. You know, the kids will probably be more well-rested than they would if I were there. She's a, she takes care of the kids better than I do, she feeds the dog better than I do, she cleans the house better than I do, and Jesus said, when I come back, until I come back, I want you to do what I did, but I want you to do better. I want you to do more than I was able to do. Amen? And so God's expecting us to be able to do. He said, all these things you see me do, you're going to do more. And so it is not the time for the church to be asleep. It is time for the church to be awoken. But to be awoken means what? 
And I understand, we can, we can get mixed up into it. New Testament words like be alert, be sober, be uh, ready, be vigilant. All of those things are important words. I feel like the Lord put it on my heart to preach it through Awoken. And so I'm going to take you real quick into a couple things. And what I want to preach you to today is what it means to be awoken and how God awakes us. Amen? All right, in Genesis 1-1, it starts off saying, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then the Bible goes on down. It talks about, he says, on the first day God said, let there be light. And then it says, and it was evening and morning of the first day. And God looked at that day and said, that it is good. Now, he goes on and does on the second day. He speaks. And when he speaks, the Word of God is so powerful that it can cause anything in the natural world to begin to realign and line up to what the Word of God was sent to be done. The Bible says that God sends His Word out and it will perform what God sent it out to do. And here in Genesis, God is speaking and His Word is going out and the Word of God is the power of God. That's why when Jesus said, um, I mean, uh, Paul said this, he says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. And so, you know, when God speaks, it is power. Whatever God says, it will be done. And here in Genesis, we see God speaking and causing black matter and causing different things and light and stuff to move around and begin to create. The Word of God is a creating force that nothing else on the planet or in any time in history has ever been able to have the power to do. There is no fact, no situation, no circumstance more powerful than the Word of God. We pick up in the story of creation, everything was dark. And all God had to begin to do was inject His Word and circumstances began to change. I'm here to tell you, if your marriage is on the rocks today, you need to begin to implement the Word of God. You say, how do I do that? We implement the Word of God by speaking the Word of God. You prophesy over your marriage. My marriage is better than any marriage I've ever seen. In the name of I declare that God is healing any hurts and wounds in our family. If it's your finances, I declare right now in the name of Jesus that God is causing all my needs to be met according to His riches and glory. You begin to prophesy and declare. Send the word out, the Bible says, and it will perform what it was sent to do. A lot of times we just don't send the word. And I'm not preaching on the word. I just want to make reference real quick of how powerful... The Word of God is. And through Genesis 1, all the way through, He says, He spoke it, it was evening and morning, and it was good. I'm here to tell you, if you've got something in your life dark, if you've got something in your life that hasn't been able to come together, God's Word has a process of putting everything at the right place at the right time, and it will always end up good. He didn't put birds on the second day. They wouldn't have trees to land on. And so if God's Word is actively at work in your life, you can trust the timing of God as well. It's just a matter of time. Weeping will last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There is an awakening moment that the Word of God begins to bring in. And so you begin to apply the Word of God in any area that's dark, any area that's out of order, any area that's in chaos. You begin to apply, prophesy, speak. Paul says, call those things, call those things. It's not as though they were. That's not just make up stories and just hope and be. That is you speaking and releasing the power of God into these circumstances. In your health, man, get up and declare that I am healed. My body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Virus cannot exist in here. And even if a snake latches onto my arm, Paul shook that thing off because he was full and 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. So you prophesy to these things. That's how powerful the Word of God is. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want, I want to pull to a minute, though, and show you how God's thought pattern is different than our thought pattern. Because we live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world that we live in, the enemy loves us to think opposite of what the Word of God preaches, teaches, and does. Alright? So here it says, In the beginning God created, on the first day He said, Let there be light, and He said it was evening and morning was the first day. And it was good. Second day, evening, morning, second day, it was good. All the way down to day six. See, the, the system of our world is, we believe a day is morning and evening. But that's not what the Bible preaches. The Bible preaches it's evening. The, the ways of God are evening and morning. Why is that? Because the enemy tries to convince us of things like, you know, if it's good now, give it enough time, it's eventually going to go bad. He tries to convince us that, you know, things start off good, but because we are who we are, they're going to end up bad. As a matter of fact, a lot of people are afraid of success because if they get it, they think it's just a matter of time before they lose it. You know, evening and morning does it in reverse. Evening and morning says this, it went from dark to light. World factor, world thinking is it goes light to dark. That's why we think and people act and begin to move and move in the thought patterns of the world. They think, all right, I'm young, but one day I'm going to be old. For some reason, we think old is a bad thing. The Bible says your latter will be greater than your former. i got to be honest with you, you know, I have been guilty in my life a lot of times of thinking contrary to the process of God when it comes to awoken. I, I, you know, we think that things go, you know, you're, you're, you're well now, but it's, you're going to end up sick. Or, you know, you're, you got money now, but it's just a matter of time before I'm broke. World thinking is, it goes from better to worse. God's thinking is, no matter what it is, no matter how dark it is, you give God involved in it, it's going to get better. Your health will go from sick to well, not well to sick. Your finances will go from, we got, we're, we got enough money now, but with what's going on in the economy, eventually we're all going to be broke. God's economy says this, that you, whatever you have now, God's going to even make it better in the future. He says this. That's what God says. God says that He will even, His Word will even restore the years that the locust, the palmer, and the, um, uh, the locust, the palmer, and the canker worm will destroy. In other words, even if things have been messed up, the Word of God is, I'm going to make it good again. And you've got to get to the understanding that we don't live in the world system. We're born again. We're, we have the ability to be awoken. And so the world system would say this. In a marriage, there, they, there used to be a thing called a seven-year tick. You know, that marriages are going to make it in about seven years. The love is gone. The life is gone. The hope is gone. Now they're saying it's the three-year tick. You know, you get married, and when you meet them, you, it's the honeymoon season, but the honeymoon season will eventually be over, and you're going to move into real life, and then you're stuck into this marriage. I want to know you. I want you to know so I'm working on 16 years of my marriage. I ain't never been happier. I ain't never been more in love. I got the most amazing woman because I have God not just a part of what I know, but He's a part of who I am. He's involved in my marriage, and with God, my marriage went from honeymoon moon and I'm on my 16th year of honeymoon. Amen? It can get better and better and better. That is the process of God. God coming into your situations and making whatever bad good again. Whatever's been broken, healed again. Whatever's wrecked, strong. And when we're weak, we think, all right, well, I'm strong, but one day I'm going to be weak. God says, no, when you get weak, you need to understand I'm involved in this thing. I'm going to be your strength. 
I tell you, God's process is different than ours. The reason why I need to show you that is because we're about to go into the next process. A lot of times our process is we're depending on God to do all the work. Because in creation, the Bible says that God spoke and it was, and then it was good. You know, but he did that for six days. He said, God said, it came together, it happened evening, morning. It went from dark to light every day. Dark to light every day. Are you expecting your day to go from dark to light? When you wake up, whatever darkness you're dealing with by the end of the day, are you expecting it to be light? That is God's expectations. Because He said evening and morning was the first day. But He did that for six days. Every one of those days, He said it was good. But then all of a sudden, God quit speaking. And on the sixth day, the Bible says He didn't speak. But it says He got down and put His hands in the dirt. And so this is what we're going to talk about today. We want to talk about being awoken. We're going to talk about being awoken out of the earthly, the, the world, the thinking, the process that even the church causes, allows themselves to go through because, you know, the truth is this. Um, if you live in dirt and you breathe dirt and you roll in dirt and you're covered in dirt, eventually you start feeling like dirt. But the enemy, the Bible says, in the garden came to Jesus, or came to Adam. And the process of God's power and God's relationship began to change. I'll, I'll explain it to you. No, not really. I'll explain it to you like this. Stay with me just one minute. All right. The Bible says that when Adam and Eve, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God says that when God came down into the ground, He formed man out of dirt. He could have picked anything. He could have carved him out of a tree. He could have built him out of rocks. He could have grown a bush shaped like a man. But he didn't. He went into dirt because God shows us a picture of what awoken looks like. At some point, every one of us in this room, no matter where you are spiritually today, you started off as dirt. You came out of this world. And when you would come out of this world, you were formed by God because you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't have been born without the plan of God being involved. But there's 7 billion people on the planet right now. And out of the 7 billion people on the planet, they average about only 2 billion people are living. They're all alive. But only about 2 because out of all the 7 billion, they're all formed. God made them. But when God formed the dirt... The next thing the Bible says is God breathed into the nostrils and he awoke. Now, let me tell you this. I don't want to take anything away from the power of God. The word of God is God's power. And when it goes forth, it will do. The Bible says what it was sent to do. And in the first six days of creation, we see the power of what God's word can do. And so I don't want to miss the factor of having God's work at work in my life. I need the power of God changing things, moving things, shifting things, causing me to be effective. But there is more to God than His Word. Now, in the Bible, the Bible says that the serpent crawled into the garden and talked to man. And when he talked to man, this is what the serpent said. The serpent said, did God really say? The word he used there for God was Elohim, which means all-powerful, sovereign God. He talked about the God of power. 
And up to this point, this was the name of God in the Bible. Because at, to this point, God had spoke everything into being. He was the power. And the devil knew, the serpent knew, God as the God of power. And so when he come up talking to Adam, he wanted, the sake wanted what God had. He wanted the power of God. He wanted to take what God could do and take it and use it for himself. But then the Bible says, when Adam said, God said, he used a different word. He didn't say Elohim. He said Yahweh Elohim, which means not just the God of power, sovereign God. It was Father, God of power, God. In other words, because the devil had only seen God's word at work, and he'd never been touched by the hand of God, God was a God of power. But when God touched the dirt and was willing to get his hands dirty, something was released into our lives that no one else on the planet has. And that is the power of the relationship with God. I want you to know something. The Word of God works whether you're saved or unsaved. It works. Nothing can change the Word of God. But there are people that actually live in churches be a part of churches using the Word of God in and over the using and it's depending on the power of God, but they never have the relationship with God. So to be awoke is more than to be a Christian. To be awoke is to be touched by the hand of God, formed into what God has made you, and then being so intimate with His hand touched you that He moves down and says He breathed into the nostrils of man and the dirt became alive now I want to talk just a minute and I'll, I'll be done in just a minute I want to talk just a minute about how the devil loves to try to keep us asleep but yet battling and fighting and using swords the Bible says this that when God touched the dirt, it caused form to begin to happen. When you get a touch of God, no matter how chaotic your life is, God begins to put it together and makes the formless things begin to come together in ways that you can't even imagine. God's plan and design for your life is so much greater than what you've ever planned or thought of or even imagined, the Bible says in the New Testament, that when you get God's hand out, see a lot of people try to live the Word of God or live the will of God off just the Word. And you've got the power of God at your disposal, but you don't have the form of God. And so you're not, you're not being formed into what God has created you to be. When God's hands touch you, He begins to form you into what He destined you you do, and when He breathes into you, you come alive. There is an awakening that happens. There is an awakening that comes out of the relationship. God's words bring order. God's touch brings relationship. And there's a difference when the touch happened. What happened was life began to live out of crumbled up, broken pieces of earth. And I am going so I And so when the touch happened, destiny was released. There's so many Christians that are not living destiny because they don't understand the process that goes from just the word at work and the touch not being involved. But when God touches you, everything changes. You know, the Bible says this that 
God spoke from heaven creation. But He was willing to come down to earth to touch man. Men spend so much time trying to get up to heaven to touch God. And the enemy wants you. So you got to understand. See, when God, when God created man and man fell, the Bible says that God cursed the devil. The serpent said, now you're going to have to crawl on your belly in the dust. Says you're going to eat dust. Says you're going to breathe dust. And you're going to spend your life in the dust. That's why the devil throws dirt every time he gets a chance. He's always throwing dirt at us. Always accusing. Always trying to get you to think you are what you've always been. You'll never be above anything you've ever... He's a dirt thrower because his whole life is built and established on the dirt. But the Bible then turns to Adam and says this. He says... I curse the ground. Adam was never cursed. It was the dirt that was cursed. And the thing about it is there's such power in a touch that no matter what God touches, no matter how bad it was, it removes any of the curse that was ever there before. When God touched Adam, it blessed him. And God never, take, never again looked at Adam and cursed him. He cursed the ground from which he came, but he never cursed Adam. And so the devil wants you to think that you're still the dirt that God made you from. The Bible said this. The Bible says in Genesis 3, it says that God took God, Adam, and it says, out of the dust you were formed, and when you die, to the dust you will turn. And the devil wants you to think that just because you came out of the dirt and that you're going back to the dirt, all you'll ever be is dirt. You're always going to be broken. You're always going to be messed up. You're always going to be in shambles. You're always going to be crumbled pieces of a life that you could have had. But the Bible says this, that God, there was a time when He was living, when He was awoken, that He was not dirt. I want to preach real quick on this. Why God came down to touch the dirt and how powerful the touch is. Because see, the enemy loves to convince people that you were dirt. What's happened to you is dirt. What you came from is dirt. You're always going to be dirt. And so people stay hurt. Most of And what do you do with hurt? When my kids get hurt, the first thing they do is they want to touch it. They want to touch it. And they don't want nobody else to touch it. I'd be like, come here, baby. No, don't touch it, Daddy. She'll have her hand up. Don't touch it. Do you know why? Because people want to cover their hurt. Think about it. This is the problem. If you get hurt and you touch your hurt with dirt, it gets infected. And anytime we're doing the touching of our hurts and we're not letting God do the touching of the hurts, what happens is we just continually to get worse and worse and worse. We go from light to darkness. But when we allow evening to morning, we understand that God doesn't mind getting His hands dirty. God's not afraid of our hurts. Not God's not afraid of our dirt. You know, when we touch dirt, it gets worse. When God touches dirt, it gets holy. The Bible says in the New Testament there was a blind man, and when he was blind, says Jesus walked up to him, reached up, and picked up some dirt, touched it to his mouth. The water in his mouth got in the dirt. He put it on his eyes, and what was once considered nasty, unclean, unsanitary, filthy, God in God's hand became something that caused a miracle power to release and his eyes were opened. God loves touching dirt. And if we don't understand that the way we are to be awakened is to allow God to touch our dirt, then you can go through your life asleep to the destiny and the life that God has called you into be. Now, 
you got to understand, God loves dirt. That's why He picked it to make me and you. Because see, because we came from dirt, means there's a dependency on God. Dirt can't live on its own. It needs God's to have its life to be released. Because we came from the dirt, you need to understand, you've never lived a day on this life if God's never touched you. If you've never allowed Him to breathe on the inside of you, you've been here, but you're not awakened. You've missed out on the destiny that He's put you here for. God's not afraid of dirt. All the way through the Bible, He talks about it. But you can see it in Genesis. I want to bring it to New Testament and try to explain it a little bit better. Alright? In Matthew, the book of Matthew, it's one of the Gospels written by one of the disciples. Matthew, his job going into life before he was a disciple, he was a tax collector. And another way to describe a tax collector in those days was he was a dirt ball. They, they were hired by the Roman people, Roman nation, to tax the Jews. So they were taking money from their own people, bringing it to another nation, but they, would, they were allowed to take off as much as they wanted. That's why when you find another tax collector named Zacchaeus in the Bible, he was hated. Tax collectors, for a Jew to hold that job, they were dirtballs. They were turning their back on their own nation. They were treating their own people as dirt. And God chose Matthew. And Matthew understood this process of being awoken better than I believe any disciple in the Bible. John was a prophetic guy. That's why he starts off, he knew who God was. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word. Peter was just so passionate in life. He loved But Matthew knew what it meant to be awoken. He was a dirt ball. He, he, he was doing his own people wrong. And God chose him. Out of all the people, why would God choose a Matthew? Well, because Matthew understood that because I'm a dirt ball, there's nothing I can do about it. But God wants to touch me. Because God didn't want to leave me a dirt ball my whole life. God wants to make something out of my life that I can actually live for and be. And so when Matthew wrote the book of Matthew, he started it off different than the other. He started off saying, this is the genealogy of Christ. He said, the Son of God and the Son of Abraham. It says, Isaac, Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah. And then this is usually when I go to sleep reading this book, until now. Alright? And, and it says, And Judah begat Perez, and Zerah by Tamar. Now, it goes on now, but right there, I, it's not by coincidence. God, in the Old Testament, God came out of heaven and got in the dirt and gave us life. In the New Testament, we have found ourselves at this moment living the life that God gave us back in the dirt. Adam decided that, you know, God has pulled me out of the dirt, but because of his failures and because of his say, he climbed back in the dirt and said, this is what we are. Their decisions they've made in life have created them to be dirt again. But now, here Matthew starts saying this, says, you know, look at the nature of God. This is what God can do. God can awaken you in a way that takes dirt and bring back to life just like he did in Genesis. Because when you get down to Judah begat Perez, we all think Judah is this awesome guy because he's one of the tribes of Israel and he was the praise maker. But let me tell you his dirt, all right? Let's share a little 
good dirt gossip in here real quick. It says, Judah begat Perez, and Perez Zarah and Zarah by Tamar. Tamar was not Judah's wife. Tamar was Judah's son's wife, Ur. All right, so Ur, the Bible says, had done evil things and sexually immoral things, and God cursed him, and he died. And um, the Bible says now the law was that when when Ur's wife was now widowed, that the second son, not the father, the second son was to go and take the brother's wife and give her a child. It was Jewish law. Well, the Bible says that um, the Bible says that when Ur's brother, he wanted her. She was beautiful. He married her, and he didn't. But he and he so he fulfilled that part of. But he did not want to have a child with her. So the Bible says he would use her, and he would discard the seed. And the Bible says God saw that. And he judged it. And he died. And so the Bible says, though, that she still longed to have a child, still longed to fulfill the destiny of God. So she did it in the dirt way. She went and dressed up as a prostitute. She went outside the city gates. And when Judah came by, it says she seduced him to be able to sleep with him. When she slept with him, she got pregnant with twins. And they're right in the middle of this story. That's some dirt. I don't know about your family. My family's got issues, but none of that's happened in mine. If it's happened in yours, I want you to know that's just dirt. Hey, it's okay. It's just dirt. But then check out what it says. It says, Perez begat Hezron, and Hezron begat Ram, and Ram begat... Uh, now, all these different words. I always say people don't see preaching and speaking in tongues in the Old Testament. Pronounce those real fast. All right? It says, and Simon begat Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begat Obadah by Ruth. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David, the king's son. Now this is where they all, they got it worked out. But let me show you the dirt. Alright? Jesse was David's father. The king, David. The one anointed by God. The man after God's own heart. But Jesse really wasn't his father. What happened in history was when Jesse got married, he married Nizabal. And she was Ruth's great-granddaughter, our granddaughter. Well, Ruth was a Moabite. And there was a law that said this. The law said that Moabite, uh, Jewish women could not marry Moabite men. But it was a kind of a gray area because it never gave a law about Jewish men marrying a Moabite wife. Well, Jesse began to study and move into Torah law which was the Jewish people's law. And after six children being married to her, after they had six children, he decided and began to move to where he was going to adhere to Torah law, and he quit sleeping with his wife. Well, she longed to have another child. And so theologians have pulled out of the Scripture their place where, like in Psalms where it says, David wrote, My father and my mother have forsaken me. Jesse's wife went to her maid's husband and slept with him, producing Jesse. I mean, producing David. And David, now being an illegitimate son, Jesse still took on the responsibility and raised him, but discarded him. That's what we pick up in the story when Samuel went to anoint one of Jesse's sons. David was put into the wilderness to be killed hidden in the back to be eaten by lions and wolves. Any parent in here take their youngest son and put them in the wilderness where they know lions and wolves are there? There was a hatred for this kid. He was born into a situation a family was ashamed or didn't want him. He had no say in it. This is some dirt. 
But God still said, Jesse's family is the one I want you to go to. God still said, Jesse's kids are the one I want you to see. And God still said, David, the one that was discarded to be killed in the wilderness, is the one that I'm going to choose. That's some dirt. Then David didn't break the habit. You read on down, it says, And David begat Solomon, who was born from Bathsheba, who David had lured just like before in generations from another man's wife, but David took it a step farther, and David killed Uriah, who Uriah was a good dude. Uriah, everything you read him was an honorable man to the point even God wanted to honor him. And so, that's some dirt. Talking about a man that God used. Has so much dirt. And then as you read on down and you get on down to the thing, then it says this, and it says, And Jesus was born of Mary, the wife of Joseph. Alright? That's odd right there. Why didn't it say, like all the rest, you know, Joseph married Mary, and they begat, they had a son named Jesus. Because that's not the way it happened. You know the story, Mary, Mary was a virgin. It was a, God did it. God gave her this. God, and when she told Joseph about it, Joseph was going to hide her away and get out of it. But the angel of the Lord appeared before him and said, Hey, you know, this is, this is uh, me doing this. It's not a man. So Joseph took it, but nobody else seemed to buy the angelic visitation story. Because when you look in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, it says that when Jesus came in, it says, Is this not the son of Mary? For in Jewish law, when you called a, a man by the son of the mother's name, that meant he's illegitimate. He was not born in a proper family, and we don't even count him as being a legal Jew. So the people around him we're judging Jesus as dirt. But what you've got to see is this. That although we all are dirt, we have a loving Father that is willing to reach down into our dirtiest, nastiest, hardest hurt situations. The parts of our life that we've shattered and crumbled apart. And God takes those things and He forms them things. And when He takes those things and forms them things, then He breathes life into them. To be able to breathe into the nostrils, He had to get so intimate right in front of the face of that dirt to breathe. He smelt what it smelt like. There was no way for the dust not to get on Him. But God said this, that dirt... It's so valuable to me. I'll get down in here and I will cause it to live. And I will cause it to breathe. And I will cause it to change. And it will carry out a destiny. It will have a life worth living. Not just an existence of just getting through. And your purpose will have meaning. And that's what God was willing to do with dirt. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament, God didn't reach down and touch dirt. What God did was come down and got in the dirt. That whole lineage, that whole thing, all those people screwed up, messed up, mistakes made, people hurt, failures. God said, you know, I'm not just going to reach down and touch it this time. I'm going to come and send my son inside of it. And instead of that dirt, me changing it, this time, I'm gonna, the dirt that I've created, I'm going to put myself in the middle of it, and that dirt is going to bring forth me. To be awoken is to be touched by the hand of God. Allow God to put such life on the inside of you that at this point forth, God's purpose comes out. No matter how bad, how messed up, how many mistakes. 
Because see, in Revelation chapter 12, it says this, that Jesus destroys the works of the devil by the blood of the Lamb, by Him loving the dirt enough to put His Son in the middle of it. But then by the dirt coming to the foot of the cross and taking every brokenness and every hurt and every shame, every failure, every mistake and putting it at the foot of the cross. And He takes dirt and He makes it testimony. And that is awoken. When God takes what the enemy meant for harm and can turn it to good, that's being awoken. That's being awake. When the devil takes your greatest shame, or when we take our greatest shame, and we say, I can't do anything about this, but I'm going to give it to you. Jesus will take that dirt. He will take it to his lips, just like he did with the blind man. Took the dirt and put it to his lips and put it on a hurt and broken person and it caused healing. That is testimony. And that is being awoke. For us being someone to be able to be trusting of God enough to say, God, you knew I was dirt before you got here. And if you can use this dirt in any way, and He will, because it says He destroys the works of the devil with it, and you give it back to the foot of the cross, He reaches down and He says it like this, I take beauty, I give beauty for ashes. What your world has fallen apart, what your world you have broken or the enemy has destroyed, when you give it to God, He takes it and He makes it something beautiful again. And that's what it's like to be alive. When it's not your burden to carry anymore. When it's not your shame to have to hide under because you know the power of God is strong enough to take anything that has ever happened or anything you've ever come through or anything you've ever been and it becomes something that God will use to change the world. That is your destiny. And so many people, they're in churches, so many people are afraid, so many people try to adhere to the Word of God, but because they don't understand that to be awoken is not just to speak the Word and know the Word, but it's to allow the the Lord to take your dirt and touch it. Because, see, when God touches dirt, He don't get dirty. When God touches dirt, dirt becomes holy. That's why when Moses walked up to the burning bush, the day before, it was a wilderness. When the presence of God hit that bush, it became holy ground. Holy dirt. I'm here to tell you, nobody in this room has ever messed up as many or as bad or as hard as I have. But I'm here to tell you, this is holy ground. Because God has touched it. And I've decided, if the devil was going to break it, I was going to let the Lord have it so He could use it to break the devil. And that's being awoke. That's having destiny. That's what you're here for. And so, going forward into this, we'll be talking about things that launch destiny into your life over the next few weeks. Things that, you know, saying we can do to awaken destiny and how to recognize destiny. But first of all, you need to know why you must be awoken. Because without God in your life, you're just dirt. And no matter how hard you try to clean it up, you're still dirty. But if you allow God to 
touch your dirt, if you will lay it at the foot of the cross, what was once broken becomes well. It goes from, it said from evening to morning was the day. You may be 45 years old in here like I am today, and you've got 45 years of dirty living, but the minute, it's been dark all day, but the minute God touches it, it's evening and morning, and it is good. It all changes once you're awoken. So don't hold on to it anymore. I was praying about how I needed to close this today. Because this is an odd launch. Last week I yelled at you about falling asleep in church and the dangers. This week, I'm encouraging you to quit holding on to your dirt. Because as long as it's yours and you don't become His... You're just dirty. You ever sit by a dirty person? <laughs> you, ever, you ever ran around a dirty person? I mean, eventually they get on you. That means you're affecting people around you. But, you know, if you're the clean one, you're affecting them. God wants to take your evening and turn it to morning. Another scripture says He'll take your weeping and turn it to dancing. He'll say weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. All you have to do today is say it's yours. You couldn't fix it anyway. You couldn't deal with it anyway or you already had. But once you say it's yours, He breathes into that dirt. And then you just get to sit back and watch His hand at work forming what the devil tried to use to destroy you. God will use to cause you to live. Let me pray with you. If you're here this morning, you say, Cricket, I've been feeling like I'm just a dirt ball. And the enemy's held me back from all the mistakes, all the failures, all the, the hurts, all the things others have done to me, other things that I've done to myself. And today, I understand that's exactly what God wants me to give to Him because He wants my dirt. He wanted my dirt so bad that He put Himself in our dirt. And if I will understand that He is a God that touches dirt, that comes into dirt, but He's a God that causes dirt to be holy, I'm going to let Him come out of it from this point on. I choose to be awoken. If that's you this morning, would you just simply raise your hand as if you're giving Him your dirt? Just give it to Him. Just give Him your dirt. Because you're going to see as you walk out of here, the forms begin to happen. The things that God's going to... He's going to begin to put you in places by you simply saying, I was, but God changed me. I did, but God... He releases power to be different and He releases testimony to destroy the devil. Guys, I love you very much. Be praying with my daughter this week. I'll be praying for you. If you need me for anything, text me online. Thank you for joining us here today.